Hello and welcome to the Stress Sessions podcast. I'm your host Luke and today I'm delving into the depths of a mental illness that I've not yet spoken about before, hoarding. Hoarding only became a recognised mental illness just two years ago so I was keen to find out more about a topic that has become a regular focus on television for quite some time, usually in the form of a housing programme where someone has help in decluttering their home. For this episode, I was lucky enough to have a chat with a fantastic Paul Cooper, who's best known for his character in BBC's This Country as Martin Mucklow, alongside his son and daughter, Charlie and Daisy May Cooper. Paul has worked for Horden UK for a number of years now, so it's really interesting to find out what he does on a day-to-day basis and what we can all do to help those suffering from hoarding as a mental illness. Topics also include brain spotting therapy, Paul's former roles within marketing and as a teacher, and the work that he does to help support the National Children's Football Alliance. This is Series 3, Episode 3 of the Stress Sessions with Paul Cooper. good thank you how are you yeah good thanks yeah really good good thank you so much for coming on and it's a it's a pleasure to speak to you it's um yeah no worries it's it's, um it's really strange to kind of see somebody in real life that you've seen kind of on tv and watch act most so yeah no thank you so much for carrying on and it's um yeah I'm, i'm i'm excited to find out a little bit more about you great is there one song in particular that puts you in a kind of happy, positive mood? Ooh. Um, oh, gosh, difficult one. Um, <laughs> uh, so many different songs, I think, probably. Um, uh, Transmission by um, New Order. There we go. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> one of the old ones. And obviously, I, I know quite a lot about you because I've watched this country and I, I kind of know what you do is your job and I'm sure a lot of people do that listen to this but could you tell me just a little bit about yourself and what you do yeah um uh well my main job is uh working with people with horny behaviors so that's uh twofold really doing training and working in their houses uh and and really to kind of make it safe and to help them with with, with with any kind of vision they have. Uh, and then in my spare time, I'm a director of the National Children's Football Alliance, which is a, a, a children's football um, charity. So that, that, between those, and being a dad and a granddad, that kind of takes up most of my time, really. <laughs> yeah, you've got... Um... You've got quite a busy kind of role, I guess, in everything. So it's, it's... yeah, really busy. Yeah, there's other kind of projects, and you know, and I'm probably only working a, um, about fifty percent at present. You know, because we're not going into everyone's homes because of COVID. We are doing emergency ones, so it's it's um, and there's other projects coming up. 
you know, one of mental health, one, uh, you know, so there's, there's lots going on. Yeah, it's a huge amount going on. Before we get into kind of the, the kind of, because I'd like to talk about kind of what you do for Hoarding Disorders UK and the, the, the kind of great work that they do. But speaking of your role in, in this country, you played Martin Mucklow, um, Dason May Cooper and Charlie Cooper's dad, and you're, you're their dad in real life too. I'm not too sure who would have picked up on it. People probably did that suffer from mental illnesses, but Hoarding was actually touched upon during the show, wasn't it? And your, your brother's character, Len... Um, yeah, alongside of a lot of other mental health things, were kind of touched upon. But was that intentional? Well, they kind of talked about doing uh, a, a bit about hoarding, and so I said, "Well, you, it needs to be, um, it, it, it needs to, uh, you know, not just be about kind of the dirty side and whatever, you know, a positive thing." And they they wrote quite a lot of positive stuff about helping Len and. And the, you know, going through the items, and you know, what what's for charity, what's for, but they, when it went to uh, editing, they cut all that out and just have the bad bits. You know, that he was kind of collecting his own feces or something. So typically, and I, I got a bit of a backlash from the hoarding community on that, but there we go. So they cut all the good bits, all the positive bits, and kept the one little bit that was uh, kind of a negative. So never mind. <laughs> yeah, it I was think- kind of. They they talked about hoarding because you know obviously I talk a lot about or do we have a family member who is hoarding um, behaviours as well so so it's kind of you know, quite prevalent in the family so it's um, I I think it's kind of even though like you said it might have come across not not that well on the show but I think just raising the awareness of it full stop is is a good thing to to begin with because. I'd, I mean, until I started doing a bit of research on it quite recently, there, there's not kind of a lot of information out there on, on kind of how to help people and, and what you can do um, to help somebody with a hoarding disorder. So it's, it's um, I think it was really good that it was actually mentioned anyway. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, any kind of published, I think, on those things. But we wanted to try and steer it away from the the stuff that you see on TV, you know, the the... the where everyone, places are cleared in three days, which, you know, which, which just leave people traumatised, you know, those kind of, you know, the, the goal and the shot at the end, um, uh, and which is kind of really what, what's on there about all, you know, we, we did a small documentary on the BBC for 10 minutes, which was a positive angle, but most of it has been, most of the programmes are kind of negative, looking at, you know, aren't they dirty, aren't they dirty people, that's entertainment, and, you know. This is how you do it. Just clear it. Just chuck it. Which is the worst thing you can do. I mean, I've worked in social housing, so I've I used to work in social housing for about four four years, and oh right, there there was a lot of cases of of hoarding when I worked in that industry, and it I think that companies that are kind of overseeing their own properties with people that are living in them do handle it quite sensitively because there is a lot of people that work on that side of it within the company yeah. i think when it comes to individual cases that you obviously deal with on, on a day-to-day basis it's it's probably slightly different because it's they're the homeowner so they, it's kind of i guess their responsibility well i i i work with a mixture i probably do more uh social housing really um than um but i do some private as well so it's kind of a bit of a mix but i, I probably majority is, is social housing 
Um, and every single case is very, very different. You know, that, that's, the, that's the thing about it. Um, and very, very complex. And you, you've got to be very sympathetic and kind of go in very gently, really. You know, um, we say it takes a village. So, you, you know, you need to know who else is, you know, can, can carry it on, you know, um, you know, because we're only there for a certain kind of length of time. But I think you know the, with with COVID and whatever, you know, I think it's going to be, um, uh, you know, there's like there'll be a lot of new cases, and you know, obviously people have died, and you know, that's one that's the biggest trigger bereavement. But uh, there's lots of other things going on, you know. Um, domestic abuse is is kind of doubled and things like that, so that that can be a trigger, and, and just people's mental health. So I think, you know, I, I think there's going to be a, a, a I think a real big increase after you know after after kind of lockdowns finished, we'll, we'll see a big increase. That's the thing. I think people that I mean, there has been a rise in mental health cases or mental health illnesses over COVID, and I but I think I do think that the, the main the big impact is going to be afterwards. It's going to be a real shock to the system when we come out of this yeah. situation. I think that, like you said, um, particularly with hoarding, a lot of people would have started hoarding just because it's it's something to do like collecting stuff is something to do and i think that um yeah it, it will become prevalent i think once all of this is over yeah definitely yeah i i, I think so and, and also it's with some clients it's been quite difficult um you know they've been kind of saying well we told you something like this would happen we knew this would happen so that's why we've got a hundred you know, packs of toilet rolls upstairs, you know, so you know, we didn't have to queue, you know, so again, from that point of view as well, I think that people are battening down the hatches and Brexit and you can't get jammy dodges or whatever, you know, it's, it's a whole new kind of, it's a whole different world out there, you know, um, so, you know, I think people will hoard for, for other reasons as well. The work that you do for Hoarding Disorders UK, can you tell me a little about a bit about what you do so you you'll go into the home and obviously help the person out and kind of I guess declutter their house in a way but it, it does like you said it needs to be handled, handled really sensitively doesn't it yeah extremely and um, and it, it depends what usually we kind of go in when there's a kind of crisis um, there's a thing called a the clutter image rating which is a, a scale of one to nine about how full the room is um so you know we we're usually in there when it's up to about a seven or or something um and it's about making it safe really i mean we're talking about probably about five to six percent of the population hoard um uh, but the grim reality is about one in three fire deaths are hoarding related so from you know it's a real fire concern so we you know work with the fire services in in and and it's you know, finding out what people want as well. Sometimes, you know, they've been taken to court or, you know, there's an eviction notice or something. So there's usually a kind of crisis. It's come to a crisis when we get involved. Um, and really, it takes a long, long time, but you don't always have that amount of time. So, something, you know, you're on a kind of journey and you, know, you do your bit and then try and hand over to someone else to... You know, people have always got, to, you know, people with hoarding behave it's a bit like a you know alcoholic you're always in recovery you know and you can have dips and highs and lows but it needs to be you need to be on people's radar so it doesn't kind of start filling 
you know, filling the, the house again. Well, I guess as well, because before I started doing research on, on hoarding and I watched your documentary, I didn't really realise that hoarding was a mental illness. I didn't realise that. And I, th- I don't think a lot of people do, but the comparisons that there are between, for instance, just anxiety, depression, all of the kind of more common, the, all, the, all the kind of well-known mental illnesses, there is a lot of comparisons because, like you said, you can't just go and bulldoze and clear somebody's house out. It's going to affect them emotionally. They've got attachments to their possessions. And it's kind of guiding them in the right direction, really, isn't it? In, in terms of what they do next and helping them with their recovery. And I think that's the same as other mental illnesses too. Yeah, the only difference is it's the only mental illness that you can actually see mm. uh, because of all this stuff, So, which is um, an interesting point. Um, yeah, you've got to go slow. You've got to find out... You've got to be a detective. You know what? How? What? Why are they at this situation? So, what's what's happened? What are the triggers? Um, and also, kind of what their interests and maybe their past is, their their work or whatever. Um, you know, because you're always looking at changing the mindset from the stuff to relationships to um, experiences or you know maybe hobbies that they they start that hobby again with a group or you know. And 90% of the people we work with are live alone. So there's that isolation. That's a huge kind of effect, that isolation, which I think is getting worse and worse. So mm. uh, connection, um, lost connection, you know, that that's that's a big, big thing. Sometimes it's about, there's a lot of good work being done now, um, you know, with trying to kind of connect people and social subscribers and things like that. So that's a you know, big kind of area connecting people um so it's a slow process and you've you've got to be work with the client empower them it's no good just doing it yourself and you've got to you've got to be really sensitive go through every single item you know you can't you can't just start chucking stuff away because you know you, you don't know what you're chucking you know so it's it's about just going through every item and having a plan um, working in the least sensitive areas. So if someone's spouse has died, you don't start in the bedroom, you know, it's that, that kind of thing. Um, and also different traits um, of hoarding. So you've got the triggers, which bereavement's the biggest, but there's kind of, you know, a lot of childhood issues. It would be divorce, and it's about a loss, and it's about filling a void. But then there's also the kind of trait. Sentimental is a different, different, difficult one to deal with, so we'd normally leave that so last um could be just in case which is i think what we've seen in with with covid lockdown or and and think stuff like as well which is aspirational hoarding that's another one where you come across an exercise bike and they've never used the exercise bike but they had this vision of someone they wanted to be they wanted to lose weight they wanted to be fit and you know this glamorous person and if you get rid of the exercise by you're admitting you're never going to be that person so there's 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 lots of things to kind of consider and you need to work slowly um i i so for instance because it's a shock because the landscape changes after you've done done one session so i remember working with a lady and and the floor was kind of covered in um rock 
food and just just rubbish and various things. So we spent the, the session together and we, and we cleared the whole floor. And then with the kind of two minutes to go, I had my hand on hips looking, saying, whoa, look at this great job we've done. And she, um, she uh, opened the cupboard under the sink and pulled everything out and just scattered it all over. Wow. Too much. It was just too much suddenly space, you know. So the anxiety levels have kind of gone through the roof. Um, but, you know, you make a difference normally. Um, and I think it's those kind of conversations you have with people is, is the key thing when you're working, you know, because very often, you know, they're um, isolated and it, it's, you know, those you build up that rapport and trust, as you know, kind of the work you did. Uh, that's everything, really. You know, if you haven't got that, then there's, there's no, you know, you're, you're not going to get on. The thing as well that, kind of surprised me when I watched your documentary was that there's there's not many support groups really is there in the UK for people with with a hoarding disorder so there's I think in the documentary it said there was about 15 around the UK um yeah that's probably grown actually uh since since that's about a year and a half ago or something it's probably going up to about 20 now I mean it is on the increase um when we started when we had our first support group about six, seven years ago, I think there was, there was half a dozen. So things are starting to motor um, and some really good initiatives. We're, we're getting inquiries all the time now about, you know, can you help us start a support group? So it's, it's, it's two years ago, um, you know, it, it became a recognised uh, mental disorder in the UK um, before then it was kind of the DSM but now it's with the World Health Organization so I think things are picking out we're doing an awful lot of training you know so people are really you know it's, it's a complex um, topic so people are trying to find out as much as possible so I think we'll see a big increase now in support groups. I think with mental health illnesses in, in general it's, it's all about educating people and making them aware that they're there and I think that especially with documentaries like the one that you, that you were on, it kind of just shines a light on what the good work that people are doing and how you can kind of help out. Because again, the, the shock, the, one of the shocking figures in, in that documentary was that 3 million people have got a hoarding disorder in the UK, which is, it's huge. It's massive. Yeah. How, how do you think that we can reduce that to kind of help people get out of that mindset and kind of, I guess, educate people in a way? Yeah, it's ed- it's education. I think it's it, it's going to take a long time, um, and I think we we need more kind of professionals out there that can go into people's homes and and be sympathetic and and help people. So we're kind of training people up, and I think that that's really going to be the key. You need those. A lot of the areas we go in, and and they say, well, we haven't really got anyone in the area that can do that kind of particular because it's quite a kind of skill to do. So, but I think. I think that will will change. Um, so it's really about people, specialists going into people's homes to be able to work with them. You know, uh, uh, reducing the harm. It's about harm reduction, really, and, and giving them some kind of vision and and, and help. You know, uh, to to sustain it. And I think it's kind of like the, the kind of after journey of when you when so when you guys have gone in and helped somebody out is like you said, make, making sure that they've got those kind of connections around them once you've left that they've got the family around them or they've got the community around them to kind of chip in and make sure that they're okay and that they, they're kind of just checking in on them I guess and I think again that's very kind of pre- prevalent in all kind of mental illnesses isn't it 
Yeah, de- definitely. It, it's about it's about being on radar, and um, it's surprising when we've done some of the training. I mean, we went to kind of training in uh, did training in Guernsey, and the post office were there. So, well, we want to help. How can we help? You know, we're you know we're seeing people every day. You know, so is there something we can do? You know, so it's it it definitely takes a village. You know, and um, I, I think. Um, uh, you know, it, it's everything from kind of PCA, PCSOs just popping in to see if someone's all right, keeping people on radar. You know, who is that person? You know, who's that person that's going to just have that contact, you know, contact, um, you know, local councillors or, you know, uh, and, and there's a lot of, I think, you know, um, with, you know, with austerity has been, um, you know, pretty, pretty damaging. Um, cuts etc but i think you've got all these different little groups and little charities and you know different networks kind of building up because people realize they've got to do it themselves because uh, you know it's it's um uh you know, and there's some very interesting i think the social subscribers subscribing now you know that kind of thing connecting people and you know uh, look, looking you know, for, for different things and kind of garden therapy or getting people out, you know, that kind of thing is, is, is great. Um, you know, and I, I think there's been a bit of a change, you know, underneath to try and, to try and help people. And I think it's more of a, a natural way, you know, and I think it's, you know, kind of sustainability. Um, I mean, there's a, there was a really good article I read while back in the paper and it kind of asked, People in their mid nineties. What, what's your success story? You know, how come you got here? Mid nineties, and and the top ten things they picked out, uh, kind of diet and exercise were kind of fairly well down the ten. Number two was um, family, you know, having family members still living near you. But number one was just those little conversations, going to the paper shop or to the coffee shop and getting something or the supermarket checkout person it's those little conversations that people said that that's what keeps them going that that little that contact with you know with 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 people and that connection i think at the moment as well is that that's what a lot of elderly people have that's the only thing that they do have because in in the current situation a lot of people are kind of quite vulnerable aren't they people that haven't had the vaccination and i spoke I, i spoke to my granddad the other day and he's kind of late 80s and I think he he's he revolves his life around kind of doing shopping and chatting to people at the shops. And his yeah. thing is, like you said, just literally going to get the newspaper down his local corner shop is his highlight of the day. And if yeah. if he's stripped of that um, in the current situation, it, it yeah, he he wouldn't speak to anybody unless it's over the phone. So it's yeah, it's yeah. important that you do keep in touch with kind of your grandparents or kind of any elderly people that you know i think yeah no absolutely it's all that connection and and just chatting to people and you know um and um i think a lot more has been done little kind of you know think even things like coffee mornings and the disinitiatives you know even the kind of libraries now you know there's lots going on in the libraries that they'll 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 be book clubs they'll be just coffee mornings and stuff and things like that lots of little, little different things you know obviously not present with covid but you know there's, there's there's lots you can actually go out and do you know i mean i know with my kind of granddaughter going out 
you know, the library has a place where they can play. You can go into the church and play and wander around and chat to someone and people are there to talk to and, you know. Um, so there's all these little little things now cropping up, I think, you know, to kind of help people and, and, and talk. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of, I know in our um, our town, we have an organisation uh, called Siren Sister Signpost. And, you know, they have kind of, you know, put on a Saturday morning breakfast for, you know, for people who are homeless or just, you know, on the kind of fringes of society or find it difficult to, you know, to, to make friends and stuff. And they do a Monday night meal. And, and it's all these kind of little gatherings. It all, it all kind of helps, you know. Um, they organise kind of day trips to, to the seaside at summer, that, that kind of stuff. So, and there's a whole variety of people that go to those. So, you know, I think those things are just gold dust how did you kind of get into helping people out with a with a porn disorder because i again i keep referring to your documentary but you, you said you had a heart attack which, which would have probably been about five and a half years ago now i guess um, yeah well five years coming up in uh may i think it was um mm-hmm. yeah I, I, i've my main career i've been doing sales uh and for a while recruitment and I was, and I, which I was bad at, but it's just one of those things you kind of got into. You know, I was in a band. I've always wanted, just wanted to be in a band. So I was in a few years and we weren't making, you know, weren't making enough money. So I had to get a proper job. And so what do you do? And electronics was the thing at present, you know. And, um, but I was terrible at it. And that, that I found really, really stressful. I don't find this job as stressful in, in the slightest um yeah and i i had a heart attack i'm sure part partly because of the stress so i wanted a job kind of working with people because i you know i I think i'm you know got a bit to offer and and get on with people and i was trying to get a job as kind of like a house you know in housing and stuff but kind of my age and lack of experience and then something came up on the hoarding side part-time so uh and then they've kind of taken me on full-time so yeah i mean it was a really weird but i just love it it's just so so different so it's so much more interesting I mean, it's so interesting and everyone everyone you speak to you say what do you do you know i work with people with hoarding behaviors really you know every, everyone's interested in, in hoarders i know i know they've seen some of the TV, things on tv and, and the, the american kind of hoarding as well mm. everyone's by why and what what and what what do you find you know so it's always an interesting it's never, never done. I, I think you mentioned earlier when I was speaking to you that you, you, somebody within your family actually suffered with a porn disorder. Is that kind of partly why you wanted to get into it as well? Yes, I think so. Yes, you know, just to see if you know I could kind of help. Um, and and um, it, it is, it is, it, it's much more difficult actually with family members than it is with kind of, you know, kind of clients. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always been an interest, and I kind of I can see why, you know, when people have you know those triggers that that you know make them accumulate a lot of a lot of items, you know, you, you can see why, you know, and it's a lot about control, really, you know, and I think it's about you know whether it's kind of an eat, an eating disorder that's about control, you know, and hoarding is a, is a similar is a similar thing about control it's about identity who am i you know and you you have a kind of identity when you have this this stuff around you um but it can the the triggers are so interesting um 
you know, come across bereavement's the biggest, but it's about loss. So loss of, loss of a life, loss of a marriage, loss of a job. Um, you know, I've, I, and even even things uh, things like PTSD. I mean, we we work with quite a lot of people in the military, and some of it is kind of PTSD, but other stuff is just you know, who am I? No, I'm not in the military. So for 20 years, you've been in the military and you're just taking orders and and, and not running your own home, you know, uh, and then suddenly you're, you're put into a different situation, you know, and the bedroom's normally absolutely sparkling and the shoes, but the other rooms are kind of chaotic. It's, it's you never know what you're going to find and you never know. It's always interesting find, trying to find out and help people because they don't make the connection between the trigger and why they do this, you know, it's just the kind of norm, you know. Um, and that's always, I, I find interesting, just those conversations. Because I guess before I started doing research and before I started trying to educate myself on the topic, the, the way I kind of thought about it was that these people would choose to be like that. They would choose to kind of start collecting items and then it would kind of escalate into, they would have too many of one thing, but it's, it's generally not like that at all, is it? It's kind of they kind of invest in things that they kind of think, oh, this is going to help benefit me. It's going to benefit my life. And it's, I think hoarding in general is just completely different to what people think it is in a way. It's the, I mean, no two cases are the same. Uh, and, and sometimes it is collections that get out of hand. Um, and, and sometimes there's, collecting going on and then they might be collecting lots and lots of kind of tools but you know and kind of antique tools but they're also keeping every single bit of cardboard every single bit of, so it's kind of it's kind of different it's it's kind of different you usually there's some kind of theme going going on there there's there's something that's that's um particularly being kind of collected um but there's no hard and fast rule, you know. And also the way sometimes it's stacked really neatly, sometimes it's stacked in boxes, you know, sometimes there's self-neglect there as well. And, and people think, oh, this is a hoarded house. Well, it's not really. It's self-neglect. So people aren't looking after themselves properly and they're not putting the, the rubbish out, you know, and they're not doing the recycling. So that soon builds up and it looks like hoarding. But there's no real kind of emotional attachment. It's it's you know there. It's usually about depression and that they just you know can't focus to actually kind of clear the house. So sometimes it presents itself as hoarding when it's not really there. There isn't that attachment. And kind of going back to mental health, just in general, is just you personally. Is there anything kind of in particular that makes you anxious or anything that kind of triggers you because? I mean, with all my guests I've had on the stress sessions, I've kind of talked about things that make me particularly anxious or when I've been depressed or something like that. Is there anything to you personally you think, oh, that's that's a bit of a bugbear for me? Well, it was always work. It, it was all, you know, I, for decades, I the, my motivation was fear, fear of failing at the jobs I was doing because... If I if I failed and I was made redundant, we kind of lost everything, um, and and you know we went from a five bedroom house that we owned to a two up two down rented, which was still in. Um, so it, 
it, it was fear. I was just driven by fear because I wasn't very good at the job and I always thought I was going to be sacked or told off or, you know. So other than when I worked in a school for four years, which I really loved, but I had to leave there because of just the, you know, the, the pay was so poor. This job is kind of different. So I don't have that fear. So that doesn't, that doesn't bring on the anxiety. I was, I was always anxious at work. And although you're in kind of situations that are really can be very difficult, I, d- I don't get any actual any anxiety over it because um, I'm trying to I'm helping people and I'm I know I'm kind of making it better, so I don't have that anxiety about missing a target or missing an order. That's the thing that gave me the anxiety. And you're helping other people as well, which is great. And it's it, like for, from a selfish perspective, it's 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 lovely to help people I, I, like in, in my job in some respects I, I help people out and it's it's a nice feeling and it makes it makes you feel better and it gives you po- positive endorphins at the end of the day as well doesn't it so it's yeah it's yeah it's, it's terrific knowing you've made a difference is is really good yeah I mean it's it's uh dealing with people and helping them is is just is great you know I wish I'd done it earlier but you know circumstances but you know i've got my chance to do it so i'm just very very grateful yeah you mentioned you kind of had anxiety when you're in other jobs did you have any kind of or or maybe you still do do you have any kind of like coping techniques that you would use to help your mental well-being like breathing techniques or anything like that um i i didn't really know um not not particularly i i just tried to kind of you know butt it out And, and strangely since since then, when I haven't had so much anxiety, I've, I've um, got more into things like breathing techniques and also went on a, a course which I thought would be good for people with hoarding behaviours, brain spotting, which is a, a therapy and a, a very, very interesting one, which, funnily enough, I actually um, found out about not through uh, uh kind of hoarding and mental it was actually a, a football thing I was talking at um and um, the chap from who was the uh sports psychologist at Monaco FC he's an English guy uh he did a talk and he, and he talked about brain spotting about kind of how it helps kind of footballers if they're if they haven't scored a goal for five games or whatever and the anxiety stuff and uh I thought well this sounds interesting and and, and that's yeah, I went on a course. I went on a kind of three or four day course on it, and it was very interesting. I've been I've been having some brain spotting recently, um, and and yeah, yeah, I think it's it's really really very interesting. Much more kind of organic than um, uh, stuff like kind of CBT. I mean, I mean, I mean, not not CBT obviously, but I think I think there's probably a therapy for everyone out there now. There are so many different therapies, uh, and brain spotting just was just. Um, you know, it, it it looks really interesting, and it was came about um, a, a guy who was practicing EMDR in in the in the US to survivors of nine eleven and um, mm. the ice um, desensitizing whatever it is, and uh, he noticed that someone every time it went past a certain thing, this guy was kind of flinching. So he stayed there, and this guy kind of processed. And it's basically where where you look affects how you feel, and um, really interesting. And it came out as the um, 
you know, the, the therapy that was most effective for the uh, uh, Sandy Hook survivors, the, the, the school massacre, the, the children and um, teachers that survived. And that came out as the kind of therapy that worked the best. So there's, there's so much out there. And I think I'm breathing, I think, is a huge one. And I, and I do kind of, you know, I do some exercises in the morning and then do a bit of breathing, you know, two minutes of kind of breathing. I just feel that that kind of helps set you up for the day. I'm a big believer in that, definitely. How do you personally think we can beat the stigmas around mental health? Not, not just hoarding, but just in general, because obviously there's a lot of stigmas attached to men's mental health and individual cases of mental health. It, what, how do you think we can beat it? Well, I, well I, I think people are talking about it now. I mean, 10 years ago, even, you know, and, and you know, me growing up, growing up, it was just never mentioned. It was just kind of man up. So I think people are talking about it. And I feel I follow some of the stuff on Twitter, you know, some of the ex-footballers, that, um, um, Dean Windus and people like that, who do walking kind of every morning and they get, you know, right, get up. You know, they've all had mental health issues. You know, make your bed, that's it, you know make your bed pillows on top let's go for a walk you know and just everything's kind of you know those you know people 10 years ago they would have laughed in your face you know if, if you said well you know you'll be doing this so i think things are improving massively um and and uh i mean we, we were just on the cusp of um with, with the local football club and um the gloucester fa and, and you know Sport in Mind, I think, don't you? Um, sport mm-hmm. in Mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, doing a, 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 a mental health football project, um, which I think would be fantastic, and especially for men. It's not just for men, but um, I think, you know, obviously with this, this, I think, is it below 40, is it, or 50, that that's the biggest cause of death with men is, is suicide, which is... Yeah, I think it's between 30 and 45, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's um, and and I I went to see some some uh, some projects one in Bristol and there's you know kind of fifty guys you know it's just fantastic. So football is um, you know I think sport is a great is is a great one uh, and, and funny enough that everything we do with the children's and I think that that's a big thing and I think we you know, we've been talking to to sport in mind about. Um, you know, with lockdown, I think the people that have really suffered are, are the, the the young people, and you know, uh, and we need to do some. You know, we've been talking about doing various projects, and also kind of free football. So there's stuff out there for free for people to turn up to. But interestingly, what we do with the uh, National Children's Football Alliance is all based around um, uh, the Flanders Peace Pitch and the Christmas truce and the kind of football match, football matches that were played then. Uh, and I think that's it. the stress and the mental health aspect of those, of those soldiers on, on both sides of the, you know, the, the divide that they choose to kind of play football in the most stressful situation that you could ever be in ever, you know, uh, um, you know, humanity. And they chose to play football. So we've kind of twin pitches all around the world, and we were due in um, to go out to Israel in April with a project with 
Israeli, Arab and Jewish kids, you know, so and we've done stuff in Northern Ireland, you know, with Protestant, and Catholic, you know, Catholic kids and stuff like that. And football just seems to be a great leveler. It's, it's a way of communicating. Again, we're talking about communication. Uh, so for some people, you know, uh, you know that, that that's a really, really good tool, you know, to, to, to work with. So that's something I'm really keen to do kind of after, you know, when we can do when we can uh so both adults and uh, and also with 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 children i think that's a really positive thing as well because when well when i was growing up when i was at school probably about 15 years ago now there was nothing on mental health at all if if you were well if you 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 were basically the weird kids weren't you if you if you had something wrong with you when you was at school and you kind of got picked on you got bullied and nobody really batted an eyelid you would that that was just the way it was and I think based on the, some of the conversations I've had with people that have, that have come onto the podcast there's a lot more being done at a kind of a younger age for kids to understand mental health and that they should speak about it and there's no like it's it's a, it's a positive thing to speak about when you're not feeling great or it it's it's I think it's getting a lot better and it, it will continue to do so I think yeah, I mean, I, I worked in a, a school for four years, um, the, the school that uh, the kids went to, um, you know, secondary school, and I was in the uh, inclusion centre. And, yeah, I mean, there was nothing like inclusion. When I was at school, you just used to get hit all the time. You know, teachers would punch you, hit you with sticks, you know, rulers, and slap you across the face. You know, it was, it was absolutely brutal. You know, there was no, absolutely no pastoral care. And at, you know, at lunch times there was there was there was no supervisor out in the you know it's just it was just like the wild west, and uh, and then suddenly coming to this, I got a, a position at a school about ten years ago now, and I was there for four years, and uh, yeah, suddenly the you know all the pastoral care and um, the teaching assistants, and um, you know the, the and, and it was fantastic and, and the inclusion center and i was very lucky that i was given kind of almost carte blanche and started all sorts of you know um projects one was football one was dance and and probably the best with with the kids with uh, learning behaviors um and um behavioral problems and especially the kind of kids with adhd and things like that was we started a fishing club and they just absolutely loved it. So the kids I was chasing around the classroom, come here, who's, you know, um, and who, who would never stay still for a second would 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 be on the 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 the, the lake, the bank, just staring at a float and just kind of relaxing. And you think, Jesus, you know, just put them in that environment. And suddenly they're looking at the trees and they're you know finding out about what fish they could catch and what bait they could use, you know. So I think we need to kind of do more of that kind of stuff, you know, um, uh, and it, it just works. And, and then you can kind of engage the kids back into kind of schoolwork and stuff, and then their behaviour at school changes, and they suddenly become interested in in geography, in biology, and whatever, because they're kind of seeing it when they're going fishing, you know. So it's it's uh, you know, there's, I think a lot of that stuff. There's nothing like that. It was just, you know, it was just brutal. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's. It is lovely that schools are, well, have been doing that for, for X amount of years. Yeah, because 
I mean, I, I didn't, I was at school not that long ago and there was nothing like that then. So it's really, really good that all of that is coming into play and that hopefully it'll get better as well. And that the kids of the next generation will be not unaffected by mental illness, because I don't think it's a thing that will ever go away. People, people always have, yeah, or some yeah. people will have mental illness, but it will be a lot better. Yeah, I think I think the stigma has has got. I think because I think so many people come forward now, you know, uh, and, and there's a lot out there. For me. I, I mean, it's difficult, and mental health services are kind of overrun and stuff. But there's a lot of kind of, um, you know, I, I, we 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 did some training in um, Swindon with Swindon Borough Council, and one of the guys the training runs a thing called twigs which is a kind of garden program for anyone so anyone with mental health issues can go twice a week two half days for for a kind of year you know and, and you know get their fingers dirty and get that and so kind of projects like that you know just didn't exist so i think that you know those kind of things you know will be out there to help people there'll, there'll be some i think there's there's kind of something for virtually everyone, you know, kind of knitting groups or, um, you know, uh, those kind of things, or there's just, there's just a lot out there. Men in sheds, that's things like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's been a real good one. Cause we, we, we get, if, if there was, if there was one, um, if there was one group that we see more than anyone else, it's engineers engineers we get a lot you know anything with a plug is interesting so you know men in sheds repair cafes all those kind of things where people is an outlet you know you meet other people that are uh, you know so, you know similar to them and have the same interests so those kind of groups are superb cats or dogs dogs phone call or text message <laughs> depends uh phone call city break or beach holiday um the present beach holiday bath or shower bath every day of the week yeah plan ahead or take each day as it comes um i like thinking on my feet so keep each day as it comes i should be planning but a good book or a good film uh, the present film is kind of easier. <laughs> <laughs> and then this this one is just applicable to you. So, nosy old cock wumble or dirty peeping bastard? Oh, I've got to be a dirty peeping bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Paul. And yeah, I'm. I, I wish you all the best for everything that you do with. Yeah, in your Holding Disorders UK job, because from what I saw, it's it's great, and you're you're really spreading the word of all the good stuff that they're doing. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks very much for having me on, Luke. I really appreciate it. Have the forum to be able to speak about it. Thanks, Paul. And yeah, keep in touch, and I'll hopefully speak to you soon. Yeah, great. Thanks, and well done for all you're doing as well. I mean, that is terrific what you do and you know spreading the word and, and, and talking to people about mental health that's that's how things will change no doubt thanks mate i appreciate that all right good to talk to you luke good to meet you yeah you too have a good evening yeah and you Take see care. you later thanks mate Bye.
Thank you so much to Paul for coming on the Stress Sessions. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please share with your friends, family or anyone who you think it might help. If you're feeling particularly generous, you can even subscribe and download to the rest of them. On a side note, I'm not a mental health professional, nor any of my guests that come on the show. These podcasts are purely based on my own personal experiences and those of my guests, alongside some simple hints and tips along the way. If you're suffering from a mental illness, I've included a link in the podcast recordings notes to help you find some of the amazing charities that will be able to offer their professional advice. Thank you so much again for listening and have a fantastic week. Bye.